Chapter 15 of The Mute Singer by Anna Cora Mowat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 15 A New Home. Honorine was excited and annoyed to the verge of positive anger when she found herself irresistibly hurried into the carriage by Madame de la Tour as soon as the concert was over, to wait until Sylvie came forth to join her and implore an explanation of her late singular conduct had been Mademoiselle de Saint-Omar's earnest desire. When her aunt so warmly opposed her wishes and insisted on her returning home immediately, the possibility that she had something to do with the cessation of Sylvie's visits for the first time flashed through Honorine's mind. This suspicion rendered her only more determined that the interrupted intercourse should be renewed, though, indeed, she had long since resolved upon that and had only waited for some favorable opportunity to carry out her intention. She turned to appeal from her aunt to her brother, and to ask the latter to deliver a message to Sylvie, but he had disappeared. Honorine did not retire that night until she heard his footstep in the corridor, and, rushing out to meet him, eagerly inquired, "'Did you see her after I left?' "'See whom?' "'Why, Mademoiselle Sylvie, of course.' "'Yes, I saw her leaving the concert hall.' "'And you spoke to her, of course?' "'No.' "'How singular. "'But perhaps she was surrounded by people. "'Whom was she with?' "'Monsieur Bourgeau and a gentleman.' "'I thought she knew no gentleman. "'Was he young and handsome?' "'Yes, if I am a judge of good looks.' "'But why did you not join her and find out who he was? "'I should be vexed if she formed other agreeable acquaintances "'and ceased to miss ours. "'I have made up my mind to see her myself, "'and nothing can prevent me.' "'The next day, when Maitre Bourgeot came to give her lesson, "'Honorine greeted him by emphatically closing the piano "'and leaning upon it with an air which might be interpreted into a declaration of rebellion and independence. "'I want no music today. I am not in the vein,' she began. "'I do not mean to take a lesson. I want to see Mademoiselle Sylvie, and nothing else can content me. My aunt would not allow me to linger until she came out last night, but I tell you I must and will see her.' I cannot call at her present lodgings, for you say that there is but one room, and her father is dangerously ill. Besides, I suppose it would not be proper for my brother to accompany me there, and Madame de la Tour would not allow me to go with a domestic. Now that Mademoiselle Sylvie's success is assured, why does she not occupy apartments where I could visit her? You must make her do so. Positively, you must.' "'To hear is to obey,' replied Bourgeot good-humouredly. "'As your suggestion is unquestionably wise, I promise to act upon it.' "'Will you, good dear Monsieur Bourgeot? "'And will you do it at once? "'Yes, 
must act at once. I am impatient to see Sylvie, and I hate delays. Do go in search of apartments instantly. I cannot take a lesson today, therefore you have an hour at your disposal. Bourgeot not only found it impossible to refuse, but he saw the propriety of the request and took his leave, promising to apprise his refractory pupil as soon as he had found a fitting abode for the young singer. There was little difficulty in finding handsome or humble furnished apartments in Paris. An entresol in the Rue Angloem, close to the Champs-Élysées, struck Maître Bourgeot so favorably that he secured it within an hour after he commenced his search. An entresol, as our readers are probably aware, is the story between the ground floor, rez de chaussée, and the first story. The ceilings are low, and it is generally a more economical residence than any other desirable portion of the house. The suite of rooms which pleased the musician combined elegance and economy. The locality was charming, the rent 400 francs per month. The apartments consisted of a parlor, dining room, three bedrooms, kitchen, and servants' apartments. The furniture, without being showy, was convenient and abundant and chosen in exceptionable taste. The concierge recommended two excellent female domestics who would divide the work between them. After making an appointment to see these necessary additions to the household on the morrow, Bourgeot returned to the Faubourg Saint-Germain. "'Ask Mademoiselle de Saint-Amar,' he said to a servant, "'if she will allow me to give her a lesson now.' and say that I have complied with her request. Honorine came dancing into the room, accompanied by her brother. Bougeot's prompt execution of her orders caused her spirits to mount too high for a lesson to be thought of that day. Her master must go at once, she said, to Sylvie, and prepare her for a speedy removal. This command of the self-constituted little sovereign was given with such graceful imperiousness that the musician had no alternative but to comply. The Marquis had been unusually taciturn during Bougeot's brief visit. "'Are you not glad, brother? Are you not rejoiced that we shall be able to see Mademoiselle Sylvie once more?' now there can surely be no impropriety in my visiting her and in your accompanying me say are you not glad i am always glad when you are glad little sister replied the marquis with inexplicable gravity a few moments after he ordered his phaeton and drove away shall we follow him on his mission through the streets of paris if we may judge from the thoughtful yet pleased expression on his countenance, he has some agreeable object in view. He first stops at Pleyel's depot of pianos, and, after carefully trying a number of instruments, selects the finest, and orders it to be sent to the apartments hired for Monsieur de la Roche in the Rue Angoulême. Numero blank. The phaeton next draws up before a magazine de mouvelles. Here he chooses a richly carved rosewood library, rather diminutive in size, suitable to a small apartment.
and desires it to be sent to the same locality as the piano. After this, he visits a magazine celebrated for its collection of choice books. Here he passes an hour, gathering together a sufficient number of standard works to fill the shelves of a little library, and himself writing a line in each volume. The next place that the Marquis enters is a fabrique de jardin hydrauliques. After inspecting all the beautiful inventions for holding plants that may bloom in the drawing-room, he orders the most tasteful to be sent immediately to a certain florist. These jardinières are constructed with a fountain in the center, which sends up a tiny jet of water amidst a potière of bright blossoms. The Marquis reaches the florist soon after the jardinière is received, and gives the most minute directions concerning the plants which it must contain when it is sent, on the morrow, to its final destination. A marble bust by a distinguished sculptor completes the purchases of the nobleman. It is a Saint Cecilia, with upraised eyes and parted lips, whose seraphic look conveys the impression that her song is not for the ears of mortals. After leaving Mademoiselle de Saint-Omar, Beaujau made his way to the Rue Saint-Denis, and, without preface, informed Sylvie that suitable apartments were engaged for her, and that she must prepare to enter them in a couple of days. When her characteristic prudence caused her to object to this step and pronounce it premature, he informed her that he was the best judge of the fitness of the proceeding. It was absolutely necessary, he asserted, that she should occupy rooms where Monsieur Legrand might call upon her to transact any necessary business. He took care not to allude to any other possible visitors and concluded by saying that her father would be benefited by the change of air and additional comfort. The last suggestion overcame Sylvie's scruples. The possessions of the de la Roches were too few to consume much time in packing. Everything was ready at the hour Beaujou had appointed for the removal. Monsieur de la Roche was to be transported to his new home upon a litter, with Bougeau and Mathieu walking by his side. Ersoul, Sylvie, and her mother went in advance to prepare for and receive the invalid. We will not attempt to paint the surprise and pleasure of the feminine trio who first reached the delightful abode selected by the musician. Before they had leisure fully to examine the apartments, the sick man was brought in and laid upon his comfortable bed, the fresh air and gentle motion produced a sporophic effect, for he had fallen into a quiet slumber. Sylvie watched him a while as he slept, but finding that he did not stir, left her mother and Mathieu beside him, and joined her master in the parlor. He was seated at the piano playing, and did not notice her entrance until she traced upon her tablets the words, "'How kind of you to have thought of this!' and held them before his eyes. "'Truly, I deserve no credit,' answered Bougeot, rising. "'I do not remember to have seen this instrument when I engaged the rooms, and yet is one of Pleyel's best.' 
Sylvie pointed to the little library and wrote, What rare enjoyment I shall derive from those books. Books? Ah, yes. That library is really an exquisite piece of furniture. But I'm an old dote, for I did not notice that either. And I do not remember seeing those flowers growing so beautifully, with the fountain playing in their center. Though one might suppose that jardinier, which fills the whole window and is really a miniature garden, was too striking to escape the notice and the admiration of anybody with a pair of eyes. And I did not remark that St. Cecilia, which has a face so like yours, yours when you are singing, I mean, truly I shall begin to fancy that age is telling upon me. At all events, I am glad that you are satisfied. Now I must leave you, for I have lessons due all day. I will give your address to Monsieur Legrand in case he desires to wait upon you. Flowers had always had a strong attraction for Sylvie, and when she found herself alone, she examined the floral treasures of the jardinere more minutely. A circle of heliotrope girdled the little fountain and filled the air with penetrating perfume. Heliotrope. That flower had associations sweet as its own breath for Sylvie. She did not dare to dwell upon them, but turned away with a smothered sigh, stifling those dangerous rising memories. But wherever she went, the haunting fragrance of the heliotrope pursued her and conjured visions of the past before her eyes and called back words to ring in her ears that stirred her strangely, sweetly, and yet most painfully. To divert her mind from these perilous thoughts, she unclosed the glass door of the bookcase and, glancing over the titles, took down a volume of Racine. As she opened the book, her eyes fell upon the word, Mademoiselle Sylvie de la Roche. Her name, written on the otherwise blank page? Could it be possible? Maître Bougeot had distinctly declared that he had not noticed the library. It could not have been supplied by him. She opened another volume, and another and another, still the same name appeared within. The books were Sylvie's, selected for her. And by whom? She thought of... She would have answered Honorine if she had been asked of whom she thought, but the handwriting was not hers. Were those characters wholly unfamiliar? Upon the little porcelain slate, now lying in her trunk, were there not a few lines still uneffaced? And in that very hand? When her soul entered, she found Sylvie standing by the library, lost in thought, her eyes fixed upon the writing. I have come to bid adieu, said the spinster with assumed calmness. I find your little establishment in perfect order. Major Bougeot is a wonderful manager. He has engaged two excellent servants. Jeannette is a middle-aged woman and will cook for you. Rosine is a strong, able-handed girl and will keep the rooms in order, attend to table, etc., etc. As neither of them can read, you will have some difficulty in communicating with them yourself, but I have spared you all the trouble I can by giving them directions. Sylvie's caress said, you will always spare one trouble. I must go now, resumed her soul. 
I will come to see you often, and you must let me assist you in taking care of your father. I shall miss seeing you every day, Sylvie. I, I hardly know. Her lips trembled, and she could not finish her sentence. Sylvie's tablets were in her hand, but before she could write a line, Ursul had hurried out of the room. The warm-hearted dressmaker had not before uttered a word which betrayed how severely she suffered from this separation. Her intercourse with Sylvie had awakened a thousand pleasant emotions that brightened a desolate life. She had often thought that she knew what a mother's happy sensations must be through the affection she experienced for this young girl. Strange to say, Bougeot had been conscious of a similar feeling. Sylvie was to him as an own and only child, and the sole happiness, sole prosperity of his existence had emanated from her. If Sylvie's parents were unfitted for their holy office, two beings had been sent to occupy their places who loved her with the tender devotion, the thoughtful solicitude, the earnest seeking after her good which characterized parental affection in its strength and purity. End of chapter 15